tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Search for Freedom, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, Nazi War Treasure, and Sweetheart Escape. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, a podcast where Crystal and Robert totally watch Unsolved Mysteries on Amazon Prime or other legal means. Totally legal. Yeah. Always. And we always encourage everyone who listens to this podcast to either buy Unsolved Mysteries DVDs or watch it on a paid legal subscriber uh, service. Yeah. Robbie, did you get a letter from a lawyer or something? Uh, no, <laughs> just, just making sure, uh, I, I want to just emphasize that. I just felt mm-hmm. like saying it. Mm-hmm. I just felt like saying it, just mm. throwing it out there. Mm. Mm. Does that mean that I should probably start paying, uh, for our closing music? Oh, are you still, uh, well, it's uh, that, it's that or the 1987 soul train intro. So you decide. Oh. What you would like to close the show with. <laughs> uh, if we closed this podcast every every episode with Soul Train, mm-hmm. I would be okay with that. Okay. Okay, bordering on, I would actually find Prefer? it amusing. Okay. Well, I really think the 1987 uh, Soul Train intro slaps, as the kids say. So I, it, I get jacked every time I hear it. So I wouldn't mind closing with that from now into... Forever, I, I just think there's something I don't know. Viewers, listeners, I know you. I know everyone has a very special relationship with the unsolved mysteries theme. Um, the the music that we usually close the podcast with, in fact, is not the actual unsolved mysteries theme. It's a remix um, by one of the members of Three Six Mafia. Please don't sue us. So uh, <laughs> just keep that in mind. Film rise. We are not using your music. We are using a remix of that music. Take it up with them. Um, so wait, who who would be suing us? Unsolved mysteries. The guy or from Three Six Mafia, yeah, Mafia or whatever. But isn't his he, but label isn't is. he using something from uh, like? I mean, well, that's not his. He probably paid for it, or he uh, didn't take it up with the record label. I don't know what it is. Yeah, um, I'm I'm under the impression that because I was able to pull uh, the Soul Train theme off of YouTube, that's probably. Not as much an issue. <laughs> yeah, not, the, uh, whoever owns the rights to Soul Train isn't isn't pouring on YouTube looking for. No, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I, I, maybe we should also take this moment now that we're how many episodes into the show? This and the, will be episode thirty-five. Maybe we should thank uh, who was it? Your cousin. Oh yeah, um, our actual actually our opening theme music is was written and composed specifically for this podcast, so we do own it uh, by my very talented cousin Robert Clark Jewett. Um, 
I had asked him when, before we started this, would you like me to give a shout out to something on the podcast? He never got back to me. So here we are a year and a half later. Here's a <laughs> shout out to my cousin. Um, he's, a, he's a super talented guy. He's hilarious. He lives down here in Southern California. By me, oh. we never see each other. That's not our relationship. But he wrote right. the music and he gave it to us. So thank you, Clark. That was, th- it's, th- thank, it's awesome. Thank you, Clark. <laughs> Any, anything else while we're at it? Any more bases to cover? <laughs> I think that's basically the business end. Uh, though maybe. <laughs> Let's get maybe, to the party end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, uh, today is season three, episode five. You remembered to do that. Thank goodness. I, I did. I've been trying I, to be better about it. I never remember to do that. Yeah. I think our first 20 episodes, we didn't 25 the first 30 episodes. We just <laughs> forgot to mention what episode we were talking about and expected people to like put it together with themselves. So yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, let's uh, pop this cherry. Shall we? All right, so we're going to start out with, uh, was it listed as a missing persons or? Um, I, yeah, hold on, let me rewatch. yeah, it's a missing persons. And actually, I want to, in the, was it last week or, or last episode or the one before, you men- made mention of a different opening title sequence for the show. Mm-hmm. And I, my response was something like along the lines of, uh, but I did pay attention this time around, and yeah, they were they were incorporating a lot of different things that I don't think they've really used in the the previous. Mm-hmm. And if you notice with this one, um, I saw they. Uh, who 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 was the guy who was accidentally dating the Satanist woman? Gary Golf, right? Mm-hmm. We we they had a clip of there of of him walking into her doing her satanic rituals in the garage or whatever. Uh, so I, I like how the in, the intro sequence they have now ha, ha, includes a satanic panic mm-hmm. uh, bit. Mm-hmm. But sorry, I just want to throw that out there real quick so as to acknowledge that thing you mentioned a long time ago. What are you talking about? That was sequentially only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. You know, right. recording a podcast is, is, like you said before, a lot like time travel. You're just moving backwards and forwards in time. I saw End, uh, Avengers Endgame. Oh, how was it? I, I, I liked it a lot. Oh. So, uh, our first segment <laughs> is a missing persons. Uh, it, well, it potentially could be one missing person or multiple. Because it, it's involving the world of shipping into Haiti, which apparently involves a lot of nefarious activities. Mm-hmm. Stolen property and whatnot going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and this this is uh, this is involving a sort of small freight vessel known as the Freedom. The Freedom. Yeah, not the Freedom. No. The Freedom. Freedom. Yes. Uh, uh, the segment yeah. I think kind of gives us a little bit of a like social studies lesson in the very beginning, where. Oh. We're seeing like a you know stacks talking about the Caribbean and it's just a 
you know, pleasure playground to go on vacation. And then he's like, except Haiti, which is a hellhole. And then we see, we switch from the resorts to, um, you know, showing actual footage of Haiti. And uh, they don't really get into why Haiti is so much different than the surrounding countries in the Caribbean, which is fine. That's not really the point of the segment. But it felt like, I don't know. It's kind of like they set it up and knock it down. It's like, prepare to be super depressed. <laughs> so yeah, have, have you looked at... There's the satellite pictures of of Haiti, the island of, of the it's Hispaniola, the That's, island. Yeah. And where like you can literally see the border between Haiti and the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. because the Dominican Republic still has trees. Oh wow. Yeah. Like wow. and so many trees in Haiti have just been cut down just for use as fuel and heating. Yeah, still not a great situation. There, no, no. That's my understanding. So, so they, they they've painted a picture of potential potential danger involving this, mm-hmm. and that's what Lisa Bishop has fallen into. Uh, she is a journalist, was a journalism student who I guess was interested in documenting the plight uh, of Haiti at the time. Sure. And uh, I oh, her picture kind of reminded me of joe from the facts of life it well, yeah in the later seasons when they glam joe oh okay up, okay sorry i was thinking about early looks... season joe no 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 i i, I much prefer early season joe because i uh you know I, I but when i later in mm-hmm. the show when they start like you know giving her lots of makeup and doing her hair and stuff which mm-hmm. is yeah. uh but yeah so she she ends up um the, the, was it the captain of the Freedom? Was a guy, some weird German guy? Um, uh, Florian. I think he had uh, chartered the boat. I don't know that he was the oh, captain he char- of it. Okay, yeah. Uh, he's this German guy who's just running a cargo down there or something. Yeah, part of the explanation we get about Haiti is that because they don't because of trade agreements or whatever, a lot of stolen merchandise goes from the U.S. onto these cargo ships. Um, yeah. This is the only way to get, like, bicycles and stoves and refrigerators and things like that to Haiti because, I guess, no one would trade with them. Did, did he notice that uh, in, one of, in the recreation of the Freedom being in its port in Miami, one of the crew members is actually just... Uh, um, he just has a bicycle. He's he's walking along and then up the ramp. Mm-hmm. Sing a single bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> they they put a lot of effort into the the recreation of the loading scene, which to be fair is is the the point was like I you know there's just the show that she's she's going to be embarking on this this ship, um, and as as it turns out, the ship does not arrive in its. Uh, destined port of call in Haiti. Yeah. And so, you the fa- her family they're they're calling the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard does searching, is not able to locate it, and it's sort of this uh, it's this mystery of you know what happened to the the entire ship. And mm-hmm. Robert Stack comes in part of the way through this the segment to discuss the different possibilities, piracy. Mm-hmm. Um, storms uh, knocking it off, and then, and then of course he 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 has to mention the Bermuda tri- Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. 
And I don't know about you, but the way he mentions that, I feel like Stack in the previous episodes of the show, when it comes to the Bermuda Triangle, it's really difficult for him to conceal just how dismissive he is of that. Like, you know, I, I think in the previous, our previous Bermuda Triangle, it seemed like he was like, <laughs> well, you know, sort of had this, re- you know, that's a ridiculous notion. And I can't help but wonder, because he refers to it as, a so-called Bermuda Triangle. And I wonder if there's a couple of ad-libs there. One is so-called. Uh-huh. Now, maybe that was actually written for him. But he also calls it a so-called Bermuda Triangle, not the so-called Bermuda Triangle. And I wonder if that was just mm. a little bit of subtle line reading he threw in there. And, and I don't know. To me, I can tell that he is just – he doesn't – He's had to say some crazy stuff on this show, but 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 for the Bermuda Triangle, I think it's pretty clear he is not on board with that. Well, I'm taking it as sort of a double entendre because when Lisa goes to leave with this German guy on his boat, she's leaving her nightclub owner boyfriend who is actively looking for her after she disappears. I had to rewatch that. Like, is that the, the Bermuda Triangle? A love triangle? <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of that. A Bermuda Triangle. A, a Bermuda Triangle of passion, mm-hmm. lust, betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, my mind didn't go there. Let's talk about her boyfriend, because that guy seems. A little too old. Yeah, to, a little too to, gross. And a little too gross, I yeah. I he's, I don't know, Lisa's what, uh, she's in college, right? So she's, what, 21 or 22 when she disappears? Yeah. And he looks much older. Much well, older. Well, maybe that's what guys who were, like, 28 looked like in the 80s, just because of all the <sighs> drinking and cocaine. <laughs> that's a fair point. I, I can't discount that. Do you ever look uh, at, like, pictures from the 80s? Oh, God, like your yeah. parents and their friends, you're like, oh my goodness, everyone looks like shit. Right, it's kind they of look like, like they were 100 and they were like 29, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. It's kind of like when you look at pictures of your great great grandparents mm-hmm. or you know anyone from that era, and they just none of them look beautiful. They all just look really harsh and utilitarian. Yeah. Um, True facts. Well, yes. So it's probably with such a gross boyfriend. It's probably no wonder that she may have become infatuated with this this German guy. Yeah, kind of. they show pictures of him, and he's kind of a smoke show. He's got he's got like a real beachy. He's like Patrick Swayze in Point Break, but with like longer blonde hair. <laughs> like picture that, and that's who this guy is compared to her. Yeah, that's a very accurate boyfriend. Description. And also Lisa's kind of a babe too. She's yeah, a total yeah. babe. She 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 is she is a very attractive lady. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we so can that... see why she may have been tempted to get on mm. the uh, the boat. Wait, are you suggesting it's not just entirely for journalistic uh, investigative? I didn't even pick up on that element until you mentioned it. I was like, "Oh, this guy is attractive. <laughs> He's an adventurer and she's bored." 
And she's young and she's, you know, people make dumb choices when they're that age, so. Well, one thing I think we've learned from Unsolved Mysteries is you should always be suspicious of men with German accents. Uh, especially Absolutely. in the con- context of some sort of romantic. Or business uh, transaction. Yeah, or yes. really a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Like, join me on this business-related trip and you'll you'll have a romantic adventure. That's what the, the one... God, was it was it the sweetheart swindler who who was the one? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I this so we got like a sweetheart swindler at sea situation. Mm, mm, nice alliteration. <laughs> God, I know. I I didn't even realize it till like it was all coming out there. Uh, so this we were left with this mystery as to what happened with the ship. We get a little bit of clues from a guy named Bob Nyberg, who was an underwater salvager. Mm-hmm. And he was working on, uh, where was he in the Grand Cayman, Grand which is Cayman. not Haiti. No, no, it's 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 like five hundred miles away from Haiti. Mm-hmm. And he actually, when this mis- when the word of this disappearance was spreading around, he recalled he had this distinct memory of coming out of the water in the course of his job, and seeing the ship pass by with the name Freedun mm-hmm. on it. And making a uh, making a sarcastic remark to his friend about about the misspelling of the name of the ship, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I buy his story totally because you, so there's some things you don't forget, and one is making sarcastic comments at the expense of people, <laughs> other people. Yeah, yeah. He made some joke about well, those guys really need their freedom because they misspelled freedom. Yeah, I don't. I don't it really understand how joke. that joke works. Yeah, it it's, wasn't it's not good. Yeah, <laughs> but I believe I believe him as well. I think he saw what he saw, and it was the freedom that was parked and, and came in. Yeah, and he what, he visited a woman who had been storing away some of this the is German. A, yeah, the boyfriend now visits yeah. the woman. He goes down to I think Grand. Cayman or Miami or something yeah. to investigate the last known whereabouts of. Right, right. Uh, and so we get a situation where they they try to they try to track track this guy down, and they're they're actually um they 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 come across a surprising number of people who distinctly remember seeing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, including one guy with some sort of Anglo-Saxon accent. I wasn't sure if he was British or what, but mm. it was, he, he really stuck out. But n- none of them recall seeing Lisa, unfortunately. Um, and they thought they were going to like track that guy down and get some answers out of him, but uh, unfortunately he was gone, gone before wherever they caught up uh, caught up with him at and this is regrettably one of those mysteries that doesn't have a resolution at the end no unfortunately her parents are still without an answer yeah i mean whatever the whatever the answer is obviously it can't be good by this point so if she starts or it went really good, and she's maybe like, she just got off the boat somewhere, and was like started a new life in the Caribbean. It seems like she would have contacted her parents. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that would that would if, probably. 
she probably wouldn't contact the boyfriend. It seems like she might have been kind of done with that yeah. situation. But she'd probably contact her parents, so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yep. Hmm. So we don't know. No. Yeah, this, this, this was a, a pretty good segment. Uh, what I, I just, I found it, the one thing that really stuck out to me was how Bob Nyberg and his fellow guy was Paul, right? They're the work partner slash friend. Uh-huh. Like how they just took it up. Like it seemed like they just took it upon themselves to do the investigating, right? Right. I think the issue was that the cops weren't considering it kidnapping since she left her brother. Oh, well. yeah. And then she and then she left the country. So it's like, what are they going to do? Wow. Well, uh, uh, kudos at least for them for stepping up. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, maybe she didn't want to be found by them. So. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully that's the case, and it's not one of the, uh, it's not one of the other possibilities. Yeah. Well, I was kind of reminded of um... Captain Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about Captain Ron several times through this segment. Uh, that's not what I was going to say. But okay. that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Captain Ron vibes going on here. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking of this guy that I knew, and I won't mention his name, but he, uh, once he got, go, he started seeing this gal on Match.com. They went out a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then she just kind of ghosted him. And then he lost his mind and, like, contacted the police and her parents. And finally, like, after all that, she got in touch with him and she was like okay you psycho like i'm fine i just this isn't a thing (laughs) so you know i always have to take things with a grain of salt which is like maybe this person didn't want to be found by you but um i think think her parents probably would have gotten a note right right if that was the case so i mean it's it's one thing for the nightclub owner boyfriend not to to get any contact Right. right yeah The second segment in this Unsolved Mysteries episode is another missing persons. This time we are taken to Beverly Hills, California, uh, where the average income of a household is, get this, $75,000. Can you believe it? My God. Can you even imagine a household income of $75,000 per year? That's insane. Are both people working in the household? Maybe not. (gasps) Whoa. That could be one person's income per year. Jeez. <laughs> uh, fast forward to 2019, where that's probably closer to the low 200,000s, if not more, yeah. for that neighborhood. Um, we are going to talk about Adam Hecht. He is the son of a uh, very famous movie producer. Um, he mm-hmm. grew up, raised in Beverly Hills. Um, he... Uh, is a tennis teacher, coach, person. Yeah. Instructor? Get, yeah, instructor. I'm sorry, I get a little distracted because I'm kind of convinced that the guy who plays Adam Hecht in the reenactment is a young uh, John Cameron Mitchell. What? I think it's the guy from uh, Hedwig and the Angry and She's on a lot of other television shows and movies, too. Cameron Mitchell. I think it's him. I have no proof that this is true, but... 
Um, if you know who John Cameron Mitchell is. Interesting. It's the same guy? Okay, anyway, so Adam hacked and his buddy, his brother, I don't know, someone, they go out to, uh, yeah, Harold hacked. They go out to a brunch at some diner nearby their house, and on their way into the diner, they see uh, a young black man with a, uh, uh, no, nor- and you know, normally we don't mention race on this show. No. But I'm mentioning it because I'm going to go off at the end of this. Oh, interesting. And I'm... not necessarily on the man standing outside the diner. So, uh, and when I say go off, I'll probably just share like a strong, one strong opinion. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, so there's, so there's a young black man. He's, I don't know, he's uh, panhandling or something. He's got mismatched shoes. I guess he's missing... Uh, his eye, or there's something wrong with one of his eyes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he's not dressed very well. Uh, so Adam hangs back after they have lunch at the diner, and he, he goes to talk to this guy, and one thing leads to another, and they become fast friends. Um, Adam kind of takes this, what's this young man's name? Tony? Tony. He takes Tony under his wing. He brings Tony home to meet the parents, um, we're also getting like, uh, talking head, um, clips from his mother. Yeah. Man. Who clearly was an actress at some point <laughs> in her life because she has this, she has this affect in this way of talking that's very enunciated, but it's not really an accent. And it really reminds me, if you guys are watching Shit's Creek, it really reminds me of this bizarre accent Catherine O'Hara is doing and that's oh, if you haven't seen it watch an episode you'll know what I'm talking about it's on Netflix but well what's the show called it's called Shit's Creek Sh- like S C H I T T apostrophe Creek it's a play on words but um if you guys are watching it you know what I'm talking about it's this very strange way of talking and enunciating your words and it's not mm. a real accent <laughs> No, no. That people have. But, but I know precisely what you're talking about. Like, every time she spoke, it really stood out. Yeah. And um, so, so anyway, Adam brings Tony home for dinner. They get, it looks like they're eating some in and out or something. And Tony <laughs> starts waving his hands over the food. Um, of course, because the mom used to be an actress, she is fully in the reenactments. Oh, totally. Giving it 100%. I mean, I imagine off when they when they go to when they try to put these segments together, like do they they may ask the actual participants that in the events, do you want to be a part of this? Mm-hmm. And you know, there may be some uncertainty, but I would imagine that not only w- was this gal's answer a yes, but it was a ye- yes before they even asked her. Like, um, I feel like it was more like. There was no way she wasn't going to be in it. Oh, but, totally. But she was like, well, you know, I've taken a few classes and I've been appeared in a few television shows. I suppose that I could join the reenactment. <laughs> I suppose if you demand it from me. <laughs> I mean, I was there for all of it. Who better than me? I'm making a lot of fun of a woman whose son has disappeared. You- um, you are. Anyway. <laughs> you are. And God damn it. Hashtag no regrets. Um, no regrets. 
That's the so, motto of this program. Uh, <laughs> the motto of this program is plenty of regrets. That's why we're here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so so Adam brings Tony into his world, and to some extent, Tony brings Adam into into his world, and they end up making um, a trip down to Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, you know, Adam's family is getting a little bit worried about what's going on with Adam because he seems to be spending a lot of time with this person. They can't really get a hold on what's so fascinating about Tony that Adam needs to like, you know, and Tony ends up living in Adam's apartment at, at some point. Um, and I think they're taking a lot of Liberty with the reenactments. They don't really know what happened, but they're trying to make like, I think they're just doing a sprinkling of Santanic panic where like Tony's shown having like some kind of ritual with Adam. Who knows if this even happened. It's a satanic panic light for sure. They're they're it's not explicitly made to be satanic panic, but they Mm -hmm. are definitely getting some mileage out of, uh, out of the use of candles in a dark Mm -hmm. room. I mean, it's Gary golf, but, uh, out on the West coast. Yeah. It's, uh, I think they're taking a lot of liberties with, and they don't really have that much information probably. (laughs) Right. Considering Tony wasn't talking and Adam has disappeared. So, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of giving the spoiler away here, but so at some point, um, Adam's brother goes to Adam's apartment and he finds Tony there. Adam isn't home. And then later on, you know, so they think, okay, well, is Adam gone missing? Adam's brother, uh, Harold, I said it was Harold, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, he, he goes and he picks up Tony and he brings him back to the the parents place and Adam's mom goes to make herself a drink and uh, I don't know what she was doing, but um, she has this confrontation with Tony. That's very strange. She's like, I want to know what happened to my son. And then Tony's like, but I'm your son. And then I don't, I don't know what happens. Oh no, they don't bring him back to the house. This is all happening at Adam's apartment. The mom shows up later. Well, anyway, at some point the rent isn't getting paid. So the landlord calls the cops to have Adam evicted. The only person they find there i think is tony Uh um they show adam's family there waiting with uh with the cops to see what they're gonna find um i think they found something like i don't quite remember it kind of made it seem like adam had just up and disappeared he didn't yeah they find uh adam's car parked somewhere in with, the neighborhood uh, with a bunch of parking tickets on it. Yeah, there was like $800 in his wallet or something. Some obscene yeah. amount of money. So he hadn't been robbed. And that's it. Yeah. That's kind of it. Adam has disappeared off the face of the planet. Uh, hey. I, di- I did some research. I did the R word. Oops. Okay. About this case. I was trying to see if Adam had popped up somewhere else in the last, you know, 25, 30 years. But there's doesn't seem to be any sign of him oh man and no update on the segment so did you want to just go off now or Uh, well here's the thing i think it's one of two possibilities and i think both of them are equally likely as to what happened to adam um the first one the one that unsolved mysteries is insinuating is that tony did something to hurt Adam or kill him mm-hmm. for his apartment. Um, I think that's what the family is angling at. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no evidence to support this. There is no sign of foul play within the apartment. They don't mention any evidence of violence, blood, anything. Right. Um, Tony has not stolen from Adam, right? So that we know. Of. That yeah. we know of. Uh, Tony is probably not a high functioning adult, or able or capable of pulling off a murder without leaving a ton of evidence. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, definitely. You kind of get the idea that there is some uh, some issues going on in his brain. Yeah, they said he was like schizophrenic. Yeah, he he was had he had serious issues. At least in the way they're portraying it, he doesn't seem like the the kind of guy that could um, mastermind a murder and get away with it. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Harold, when he came by the apartment and Tony was there instead of Adam, he said something along the lines of, I mean, basically that Tony seemed to be simultaneously both stonewalling him in terms of his answers, but Mm -hmm. also legitimately sort of confused and not sure if Adam was there or not. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think whatever ha- I, I think there's option two. Yeah. Um, I think well, I think option one is layered with a lot of elements of race and class, mm. and having issues with. Um, definitely, if you're living a certain kind of lifestyle in that part of town, you're probably not interacting a ton. I mean, there are certainly homeless people in Beverly Hills to this day. Like, don't get me wrong. Okay. Um, there's. Beverly Hills is surrounded by a lot of neighborhoods that are much poorer than it. So if you actually happen to leave that area, you're going to see some stuff. So I don't want to say people are totally insulated, but it's certainly not really their problem, I think, is the view. So I think this is there's a lot of ableism, racism, classism going on with at least how this story is being portrayed by the family. Because I think option two, which is almost as hard as to consider which is Adam left willingly. He just walked away from his entire life, which yeah. is what the cops seem to think happened. And they introduced this. They say, we can't, he wasn't, there's no evidence he was kidnapped. He might have just left. Well, certainly with that sort of possibility, they in the seg- segment, they make allusions to how Adam's encounter of Tony, like Tony's throwing all this mystical stuff at him, mm-hmm. and Adam's kind of like getting really into it, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like all throughout watching the segment, the thing that that popped out to me was that okay, Adam's this guy who's been living a very vapid existence, mm-hmm. as I assume many people are in that area. Yeah, you know, well, just, I think in just affluent areas in general but yeah Yeah. specifically this area for sure yeah and so it's kind of like the same reason why so many movie stars uh, get involved with strange new agey stuff Mm -hmm. or or other things uh cults and all sorts of stuff is just because they're you know, they're living this really empty existence, and there, there's this hole in there that, you know, for people in uh, other situations might be filled with uh, civic engagement, religion, you know, whatever. And I think 
Adam's life was so deficient in this, you know, in this regards that, yeah, just running into this homeless guy who's like waving his hands over his two in and out hamburgers and fries and uh, saying stuff about, you know, you gotta understand that what's on the inside, blah, 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 is that's. You know that that's enough for Adam to like feel like his whole his whole paradigm has been shifted, and he's mm-hmm. looking at the world in a different way. I mean, that was sort of my take. Well, I thought that this segment, either inadvertently or purposefully, had a lot of parallels with the book Siddhartha. Have you read the this book, book? The books. Wait, uh, Siddhartha. What? It's by Herman Hesse. Uh, Siddhartha it came out in the 1950s or 60s. It's basically a fictionalized account of the story of the Buddha. Oh. And I don't, what I, sort of the um, literary illusion I was paralleling the story with is, I'm going to sum up like a 5,000 year old free religion in like two minutes, so bear with me here. But the story of Gautama... um, or Siddhartha Gautama, who becomes Gautama Buddha, um, was that he was a Vedic prince in India many thousands mm-hmm. of years ago. And his parents, they wanting to keep him from any sort of suffering or unpleasantness, um, made it so he was basically walled up in this palace with these gardens where everything was perfect and everything was catered to him. Whenever he traveled outside the palace, the the guards would go ahead and make sure to clear the the road of anything that might be unpleasant from his view, whether it's poor people or sick people or um, you know anyone with sort of any deformities, uh, okay, any sort of trash. They would so he would never have to witness this. So one day, he gets outside the palace walls without it having been prepared for him, and he sees a beggar and he sees you know, sick people, he sees a grubby child, he sees all of the suffering in the world, and he realizes that he, uh, Mm. you know, being full of compassion, he says, I, I feel the need to explore suffering and why it happens. So he basically runs away from the palace and begins the journey of becoming the Buddha. So he goes to live with, like, ascetics for a little bit, and those are folks that, like, don't, don't really eat or clean themselves or um, you know, just they try and escape their physical demands to be closer to God or in, well, this was pre-enlightenment, but closer to the gods, closer to nature to try uh, and, and achieve some kind of understanding. You know, Buddha runs away from that after a time realizing this isn't, you know, he goes and he meditates under the uh, Bodhisattva tree for 40 days. Um, and that's when he yeah. eventually achieves enlightenment. I'm sorry, any Buddhist, if I screwed this up. This is a book that I read, I don't know, first year of college. So. But what, what I really saw in this segment um, was you have this prince who sort of had this pleasant life. And he goes to this diner one day and he's really confronted with someone who's suffering. Suffering from mental illness, suffering from poverty, perhaps hunger. And his compassion overwhelms him. And so maybe he left all of this to try and pursue some kind of fulfilling lifestyle. And he maybe were, there's issues with his parents and his family. He didn't, we were not being told cause we're only seeing their side of it. You know, maybe he was compelled to just shed all this worldly stuff to go 
you know, seek his own enlightenment. And in that sense, maybe he's fine, but he doesn't want to be in touch with anyone. Perhaps. So he's, he's, he's probably, he's possibly sleeping under a bridge somewhere in, in Reno or Portland. Yeah. Or maybe he just, you know, ha his name was attached to Hollywood royalty basically. So, and the reason I, the research that I did, I did find that one of the reasons the segment ended up on, um, Unsolved Mysteries is because the Hex were good friends with Robert Stack. Oh, uh, interesting. Um, so, do you think do you think his Adam's mom was ever in a film with with I mean in a, <laughs> in a bit part with with Robert Stack? Yeah, we'd have to look her up by her maiden name, maybe, but but perhaps, yeah, yeah. a real possibility, I think. Hmm. But yes, um, gosh. Uh, yeah, no, I actually the scenario you laid out. I mean, that's that's kind of something I think is is what happened. He just he just decided he, he was just leaving his whole life behind and was going to go explore whatever way of thinking it was he mm -hmm. he had developed. Mm -hmm. I mean, they made a whole movie similarly about this about that guy who graduated from college and ditched his family and went and died out in the woods in Alaska on a bus. It's called Into the Wild. I mean, it's not unheard of for these, you know, children of privilege to just is it, want to run away from it all. So this isn't the first time you've mentioned Into the Wild, is it? Um, probably think, isn't. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you've <laughs> you mentioned been on this it to podcast? me, po possibly on this podcast. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean, in the context, probably of one of these run up people running away segments. Mm -hmm. Did you did you ever see that movie where Keanu Reeves plays the Buddha? No, what? <laughs> oh, we're going to have to talk after the podcast. Okay. Do I have a story for you? I can't wait. All right. Excellent. But, yeah, so I think we solved this case, right? Great. Tied up in a tidy bow. Tidy bow. He went off to become the Buddha at the end. Okay. <laughs> uh... Yeah, our next segment's a quick treasure segment. It involves Nazi gold. Nazi gold. Nazi gold. Basically, we, we have a chain that involves about three people, right? Mm -hmm. One is a SS officer. Was was it the guy named Joseph Jerolin? Mm -hmm. Or was he just giving... T yeah. Uh, basically... <laughs> He's 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 strung the story that because he was he was uh, in line to be executed at whatever uh, facility they the U.S. Army had for these guys, mm -hmm. and he was telling uh, he was spinning this story uh, to a physician named Gross, right, Wilhelm Gross, mm -hmm. who was uh, someone who was he was tasked with treating the uh, the imprisoned Nazis at this camp. Mm -hmm. He was spinning him the story about how in the closing days of World War II, uh, him and three other members of the SS made off from Dachau with a bunch of gold. Mm -hmm. Gold that, I, I guess, was, you know, it was pretty much all stuff confiscated by uh, the Jewish uh, uh, victims of Dachau. Confiscated uh, and, from, not by, yeah. by them. <laughs> they didn't 
confiscate anything. Wait, what? You said they're confiscated by the Jewish victims of the. Oh, oh from yes, said yes, from. <laughs> they didn't do any confiscating. They were no, 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 from. no. Uh, um, including like taking out the gold fillings from their teeth. Yeah, and they stuff. melt. They would melt it down. Any jewelry, any of that stuff, had to be surrendered when they yeah. uh, got to the camp. So, these four guys allegedly set out with all the this gold that they then buried at, was it Lunar Sea Lake? Mm-hmm. It was a lake, I think, in the Alps. and Yeah, Austrian Alps. Was it Austria? Yes. Yeah. So they yeah, went I, I, through Switzerland to Austria. No, I, th- I think they just went through Germany well, they, Austria. I would like for them to have gone through Switzerland. It's a beautiful country. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm sorry, I was well, confused. Well, I thought okay, they were I... like coming through Switzerland for some reason. I guess they weren't. Well, 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 if I come across them, I will, I will castigate them for not only being involved in one of the greatest crimes in human history, but not traveling through Switzerland to get the, yeah. <laughs> to the place, um, because it is a beautiful country. Uh, and so they buried this uh, treasure by this lake. Uh, and the reenactment of them burying it, like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have a hole and some guy gets out of the hole and they start putting boxes in there. Mm-hmm. Those boxes that they're putting in there, mm-hmm. over the course of lo- my life, through the context of Civil War reenacting, mm-hmm. I have handled numerous boxes designed just like that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Why it, do they, you have it, Nazi boxes? <laughs> no, they weren't, uh, uh, they weren't explicitly Nazi boxes. They're just... They're just boxes that were used for like carrying stuff in. Oh, they kind of look like ammunition boxes yeah. to me, like really large ammunition boxes. Right. I should ask someone the the exact origins of this 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 particular type of box. But we're not here to talk about boxes. Mm-hmm. We're here to talk about unsolved mysteries, and this mystery is not solved because uh, let's see, Doctor Gross he proceeded. He told. The story to was a, uh, another doctor, Gregor, mm-hmm. uh, who was a member of U.S. Army intelligence, and I guess what they planned to, that they're going to go try to find this buried gold, right? Yeah. So my confusion comes from the lake that they allegedly buried it by was on the border of Austria and Switzerland, like right on yes. the border. Right, 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 right up the border. Yes. Uh, I. So I'm I not to- a total idiot. You you are not, Chris. <laughs> I and. Uh, you, 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 even if you hadn't done that, that clarification on that, I, I just would have assumed it was a, a basically a Freudian slip. But um, well, wherever yeah. they filmed this reenactment, and it could have been in Switzerland, is really beautiful. Oh yeah, totally. It's like a beautiful alpine lake, and um, there's a little stone cottage. Um, yeah. So this, so this third person down the line is he the one now that's trying to find this treasure? I started to really get confused. Yeah, I've watched this segment two or three times and can quite. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never, I've never been clear as to precisely what's going on. I know that like a dam is built, the lake gets uh, flooded. Flooded. Yeah. At some point, Doctor Gross disappeared. Uh huh. Which <laughs> I mean. People do disappear all the time. We've already had two people disappear so far in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know about you, but I began to wonder 
did he find the gold and then just use the gold to disappear? Um, maybe. Yeah. So we get the next person in the chain, which is some guy named Bob Kesting, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Uh, yeah. These people, the individual people are not needed. Uh, but he believes the story is true mm-hmm. because of whatever stuff, uh, testimony he, he came across in the records. Um, so he believes the treasure's out there. And we get, like, uh, basically a shot of him standing by, uh, on some porch looking out at the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly wishing that the... His, his plan is to go search for it when the water recedes, right? Didn't mm. the water recede? It did. Yeah. He, he makes yeah. it out there. Yeah, they, they searched, didn't fa- find anything. Yeah, they were out there with the, at least in the reenactment, with a metal detector. and Metal detector. I have to assume whatever this lake is they're filming at, though, just because of the cost involved has to be in California. Oh. Not it, it, Switzerland. Oh, well, like, like when we, earlier, when we had that shot of stacks standing against the uh, ocean with the... Cargo ships passing by yeah. him. He's talking about the Freedom. I assume that was just some somewhere off the Los Angeles or San Diego coast. Yeah, right? that, was, that was definitely Long Beach for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this treasure hasn't been found, and possibly never exi- existed. <laughs> existed. Uh, that's also a strong possibility. Uh, they did at the very end of this segment that they did drop something which made me feel because I, I had this very uncomfortable feeling throughout this entire segment, mm-hmm. which is I mean, it's one thing if you're looking for this treasure from like that some guy in the 1840s buried and left a bunch of national treasure type clues like the, the very first treasure segment we came across on this show. Yeah. But like anyone looking for this to enrich themselves especially at the time when this segment is filmed you know and i don't think that's no i think they said that he wasn't trying to enrich himself right well yeah yes 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 i'm getting to that okay sorry no it's okay (laughs) uh because i mean this last guy was not the first person looking for this yeah so like i'm throughout watching this segment like anyone who's looking for this treasure you know just for themselves it has got to be a grade a piece of shit you're treasure hunters aren't you we're more like treasure protectors because this is all <laughs> stuff that was stolen yeah, from no, people hard agree hard agree on that yeah who were victims of one of the greatest crimes in human history yeah some of whom at the filming of this segment are still alive yep so they're I probably mean, like my that was my filling yeah, yeah, but there's probably some guys who are like that. And so, I mean, I was a little bit placated at the end that the last person in this chain of people looking for this, like he had said something, or, or uh, Stack rather says that his, his plan is if he finds it, he's going to donate it to a charity that helps provide health care for extremely impoverished people or something. Yeah. Which okay, I mean that 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 that's nice. I I mean that's I'm not uh, anyone who's planning on doing that. I'm not going to get mad at them. Mm-hmm. But still, I kind of feel like maybe instead that money should be distributed uh, amongst the survivors of Doc Yeah. Cow. yeah. 
just my my personal thought. Yeah, I think that's a good thought. I was wondering, though, maybe you know, at the beginning of the segment, they mentioned that not only with this gold that we're specifically interested in, but there were, and, and this is well-documented historical fact, that the Nazis, you know, had precious art collections that they took, mm-hmm. not just from folks who went to concentration camps, but just, you know, French citizens. Um, right, they right. confiscated a, a ton of, you know, art treasures, sculptures, um, jewelry, Fabergé eggs, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And they hid it away in, you know, various, you know, foxholes all over Europe. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has been recovered. Um, they made a movie about it, too, with, like, George Clooney and Bill Murray. A years ago. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that Monuments Men mention. Yeah. So this is, this is, this is well, uh, well-trod territory, but do we know what happened to these things once they were recovered? I mean, what I picture happening to them is they go into that Indiana Jones warehouse with all the boxes <laughs> at the end of... Um, we have top Raiders men. of the Ark. Yeah, top, top men. Uh, <laughs> do you know what happened? To so those things, the things that they actually recovered. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I, I would hope that things that could be repatriated to people were. Mm-hmm. I would hope. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't examined this topic. Maybe we should do a, a mini-sode about uh, Nazi treasures or something. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, yeah, I don't know that that's more than like a five minute conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Robbie, did you, did you like this segment? It wasn't, it was a little, it was slightly confusing for me because there was many people in this chain of people looking for this. And I feel mm-hmm. like they were kind of, it was unclear who they were talking about at any one point. I did. I mean, it was, it was, it was a brief segment, right? Yeah. So I, mean, I, I was confused as well. After yeah. watching a couple of times, I don't, I don't know what the, how the chain of people worked exactly. I just, all I had was just a list with like names. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess as confusing as it was, it was also brief. And I saw those boxes that they were burying. And I was like, oh, I've owned some boxes like that before. Uh, so it gets a... <clears throat> Instead of giving it a letter grade like I do most segments, I'll just give it a pass mm-hmm. instead of a fail. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That works so, for me. Do we want to talk about beauticians turned prison guards who bang inmates? Um, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about busting out of jail, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yes. So the last segment of this episode is, it's pretty brief. Um, what's interesting to me is the nature or the order of events seems to have happened very quickly or soon before this episode aired. Yeah. It seems to have been like a high priority segment to get on the air. So um, apparently a couple of weeks before the segment aired, I think we're in 1990 or 91 at this point, uh, a couple of inmates from the Allegheny County Sheriff's Department jail busted out. Um, It wouldn't have been jail. I guess it would have been prison. Jail doesn't have maximum security. Uh, 
It's a prison. Um, anyway, I think this is Pennsylvania? Upstate New York? Uh, uh, Delaware? It's on the East Coast. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So it's the story of these two guys whose names I did not write down. Let's call them, let's call them Rick and... <laughs> Um, Morty. I don't know. What do we want to name these guys? <laughs> I think one of them is probably called Rick, but anyway. You're going you're gonna to have to do a Rick and Morty drop there for sure. Uh, I just don't want to, though. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, these these guys, I think they're in jail for some kind of nonviolent crime, but they're in maximum security or something. I don't know. I think oh, they were, uh, like, writing bad checks. Yeah, like, like forgery or something. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, Edgar, I, Edgar, thank you. I can't remember yeah. anybody's name in this segment. <laughs> so what's, what's the main security or the prison guards name? Female K. K. Thank you. All right. Now we're on track. And, Here we go. And the, and the other guard is named Michelle. Michelle. Yes. I'm, I'm looking at her now, but I couldn't remember the main, the main gal's name is K. So, um, it had been noticed so Kay also works at this prison with Michelle, mm -hmm. overseeing uh, Rick and no. Wait, you just <laughs> told me. Edgar. Oh my God, <laughs> I can't remember anyone's name. Uh, overseeing Edgar and Morty, uh, in their, in their prison term, and uh, Kay's coworkers noticed that she seems to be spending a lot of time over at Edgar's cell, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they do a reenactment of her and uh, Edgar doing um, hand rubbing. Mm -hmm, through the bars of the cell. Yeah, uh, while they're talking. They're in close to each other. Before that, though, they show the uh, Edgar and Rick, or Edgar and Morty, <laughs> break out of the jail. And uh, they do a reenactment with poor, poor Michelle who's also a guard uh, with them saying, open up the gates. And then she runs into a bathroom to get away from them, locks the door. But they know that, uh, but she knows that the two prisoners breaking out have Kay as a hostage. Mm -hmm. So she's really worried about her coworker Kay. Well, you know, as the story unfolds, it kind of seems like Kay may have facilitated the breakout. Uh, Kay's daughter is also interviewed, but for some reason she's in shadow. Um, she's just beside herself. Again, this happened recently. This isn't like years ago or months ago. This is like breaking news. Yeah. This jailbreak. And um, Kay's daughter just wants to know why Kay did it. Because at some point after the jailbreak, Kay's daughter gets a call from Kay saying, I went with them. Mm -hmm. To imply that she's not being held against her will. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically the story. So... Kay helps these two break out. Obviously, she had some romantic connection with Edgar. Um, we get an update almost immediately. Uh, they were found. They were found by a motel owner in Canada. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> recognized these two as his guests in room such and such. Yeah. Well, those two, the night of the broadcast, it seems like, move on to another motel. So Motel Owner 1 picks up the phone, calls the authorities, says such and such, Kay and Edgar and Broom, whatever. They're checked in under this name. They flee. 
um, they find the cab driver that takes them to the second motel. I'm able to locate the second motel. And then the authorities bust uh, Kay and Edgar in the second motel. And there's a really wacky reenactment of them doing Oh, man, this. I love the reenactments of the, <laughs> them busting in through the doors. Like, well, and they do, too. The first one, when they, when they go to the motel room they just checked out of. Yeah. Did you notice what was on the nightstand next to the bed? I didn't. No, what was it? A couple of Wendy cups. The old old style Wendy's cups. Oh, from Wendy's? Yellow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm And I'm like, one's large and one's smaller. So I'm thinking the smaller one had to have been a Frosty, right? Yeah. I prefer to believe it was a Frosty. Yeah, definitely. Least. Did I you mean, know that Wendy's is doing vanilla flavor? Robbie, listen, uh, to my shock and horror. I don't know, maybe about a year and a half ago, two years ago. It was before I moved to L.A. I don't, listen, I don't get milkshakes or Frosties that often. It's not my jam. One day I was really hankering for a Frosty. So I go to the Wendy's by my house. I pulled to the drive-thru. I said, I would like small Frosty, please. And then there was a follow-up question, which I was not (laughs) anticipating. And they say, "Uh, what flavor? And I was like, "Uh, bitch, you know there's only one flavor of Frosty. That is chocolate. Give me my Frosty. And I was like, I didn't say that to the drive-thru person. That would have been rude. I just said, excuse me? Right. Um, and the drive-thru person was like, oh, it was vanilla or chocolate. And then I, I just wept in my car. <laughs> <laughs> While still in the drive-thru, just, just turned off your car. Just sat there yeah. as cars. Yeah, there was, yeah exactly. I got a lot of people honking at me, but I, I needed to <laughs> grieve. Uh, yeah, this was actually a surprise for me. Just in the, I only discovered this uh, during my recent uh, six, six or seven month stint as a quasi houseless person. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I it was it was amazing, shocking. Uh, I probably shouldn't just make this all about Wendy's though, because we're talking about unsolved mysteries, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so then we, we the, they do the the second reenact uh, as the reenactment of the second raid, and and man, they burst in there like the guy with the shield is practically pinning Kay down on the bed. Yeah, on the bed, like handcuffing her arms over her head to the bedpost with, with a with a with a handgun pointed right at her brain. Yeah, it was pretty intense, you guys. Yeah, yeah, check um, it out. So then that's the reenactment. But then at the end, when they're giving us the final white text update, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's over some footage of actual Kay and actual Edgar getting into the back of a police car. And what the white text says is that Kay was sentenced to some amount of time that she served. And Edgar served out the rest of his sentence after they were both extradited back to the United States. And it said that uh, Edgar and Kay lived together until, I guess... Uh, he passed away. away. So I guess so those I, crazy love birds worked it out. <laughs> right. I guess it was a legitimate romantic thing, uh, yeah. at least from her end. Or yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I was thinking recently there was, there was also another, seems like everything we're talking about had a movie made about it recently but um there was like a showtime movie called escape from Danamora, and it was the story more recently of a female prison guard that helped two inmates violent crime inmates escape and they were Mm. on the run for like two months in upstate new york 
But the story was that the inmates had just kind of used the prison guard lady to get out. Right, um, right. I think in this case, it was like kind of a real relationship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things I noticed, though, when we see these two, the actual Kay and Edgar getting in the back of a police car as the white text flashes over it, I don't, it, was, it was a little moment, but I caught it. She turns enough so that you can see her face through the back window of this police car and she's smiling and laughing. Yeah. And I thought that was really something. (laughs) (laughs) She's just going to prison. Well, She knows that, but I don't know what she was saying to him. I don't know what he said to her, but the moment that they're in the back of the police car, she's got a genuine smile on her face and she's laughing at something. (sighs) Sierra, what, 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 what kind of thing would he have said? Something like, um, well, well, I guess, guess they got us. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I assumed it would be uh, like ever since they got arrested, he was probably trying to think of like some joke where like it's like, well, we're both going to be in prison now, or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. something about be- both of them being going going serving time. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, the interesting thing is from, like, the escape point to having aired the segment to them getting caught is maybe a matter of weeks. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, it's a very short time 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 span. I mean, and, and they got captured the night of the airing of the segment. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Yeah, this one got wrapped uh, after a series of completely unsolved uh, segments. We got a nut one with a very efficiently and quickly <laughs> wrapped bow. Yeah. You know, what I was thinking too is like, I feel like every small motel owner in the 1980s and 90s probably was watching Unsolved Mysteries every night just to be see if they could be the ones to bust yeah. the fugitives, you know? You know, one of our, yeah, one of our Medford Hustle guys was, was, uh, mm-hmm. was captured because of a, a, a astute hotel or motel guy that's right and and i think we've we've had other situations like this so yeah i I, i'd say yours is probably correct (laughs) every every small motel owner in america and canada was just like i it's gonna be me this week i'm gonna get him it's like it's like yeah just like winning the lottery yep so robbie Yes. Um, where can you find us on social media? We're at Reenacted Pod on Twitter. We have a page on Facebook, but if you go and you look for Reenacted Fan, uh, Reenacted Pod Fans, or something. Oh, I, I don't know the exact name, but uh, listener Alyssa was very kind to put together a a. Um, a fan page for us, which unlike uh, unlike the stupid thing I set up on Facebook, where you can't actually post anything unless you're you're me, mm-hmm. uh, you can go to our reenacted fans uh, page and post away at your heart's content. Bigfoot seems Bigfoot memes seem to be pretty popular mm-hmm. on right now. Go give us five stars on iTunes. And if you got money in your pocket, go to our Patreon. Yeah, that's patreon.com slash reenacted pod. Reenacted pods, all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to the people who have already done that. Um, I'm shocked and amazed anybody would want to 
pay to hear us talk. Uh, <laughs> I, I as well am shocked and, and amazed at that. Uh, I, and if you, if you join up, you're going to get some, some, some nice goodies. We've already posted uh, something on there. We, we recorded something that's going to be posted on there at some yeah, point. That's, that's going to be the Patreon um, only feed. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're one of our rumper petrons, you will have access to that content. Yeah, there's stuff sitting there right now. Actually, the thing that I posted was our long-lost first episode. Right, which unless you were like listening to this show early on, you probably have not heard and have probably been wondering. Where's episode one, you guys? Uh, (laughs) It's it's, it's a question that I feel like we don't get as often as we probably should. I've never gotten it. Yeah, we occasionally get asked about like, why did you skip through the second half of season one? One. Uh, which I think our plan is, is we're going to record those episodes at the very end. Yep. That's right. We're going out of order. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but yeah, you, you really definitely should want to go over to Patreon, subscribe. You're going to get, you're getting extra, uh, uh, stuff to listen to. You're, there's other stuff we're making up as we go along. Mm-hmm. We're, we're kind of, we're, we're doing all sorts of special sort of episodes. I, I guess we should, we can mention what, what they're going to be about on this, this feed, right? It's not a secret. Yeah. No. I mean, and in fact, I guess that, that. It's an enticement. It's an enticement. Well, at the end of the one we just recorded, we were discussing what the next one should be. And you put forward the proposition that we should do something concerning, uh, cryptids cryptids the yes. the yeah bigfoots and loch nesses and all those cryptozoology animals and my suggestion was a full length commentary track for the movie caddyshack 2 <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so if you want to listen to that uh press <laughs> one and if you would like to hear a episode about uh cryptids press two on your rotary phone now <laughs> <laughs> or you can go, to, or you can go to our Twitter or whatever if you're uh, if you're a subscriber to the Patreon and let us know what you want to hear because we're doing this for you guys. I know I know the overriding consensus is just make more episodes more regularly, which that is also part of the plan. No worries, yeah. we're gonna get but, our shit together. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we are gonna do that, but in addition, I mean, the Patreon patrons have to be specifically they're, rewarded. They're like and, super delegates. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They don't get the vote in the first round of balloting? Um, no, I just meant their vote counts more than regular. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. But anyway, uh, do you want to do the thing? Yes. Join us next week for another episode of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs>